You're listening to the Word of Life AG Podcast. This is the message from this week's service. If you want to view the full service, including worship, please head to our website at wordoflifeag.org. While there, you can also see what's coming up at the church, or even check out some next steps. All right, let's dive into this week's message. I'm really glad I came to church today. It's great to see you, as you can tell from uh, church news and the announcements and all the rest of it, that there is a lot going on. Um, and I've got to tell you, I am incredibly optimistic about all that is happening at Word of Life. I am um, as confident as I've ever been that if we persist, keep preaching the gospel, keep loving our neighbors, that the Lord God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, is going to keep changing lives and doing great things in the lives of His people, especially here in Baldwinsville and beyond. Can we get a big Pentecostal Amen. Amen. All right. Well, this series this summer, I've been delighted how it's been going. We're kind of towards the tail end now. This is week eight of nine. Um, and so, uh, so far, we've been looking at the nine fruits of the Spirit. And the, the whole thought behind it was we want to look at the, the fruit of the Spirit with the idea of it being set apart, that the world around us, that there's a, a way of the world, that, there's a, a, that there is a normal that exists in the world around us. And the fruit of the world that is around us is not good. It's not going good places. It's unfulfilled promises. It leads the upset and devastation and all these things. And so in contrast to that, Paul writes to a church, in, uh, a series of churches in Galatia and says, hey, here's the fruit that comes out of your life. Here's the result that comes out of your life when the Holy Spirit's at work. When the Holy Spirit's at work, the kind of fruit, the kind of things that is produced in your life, what overflows out of your life is different than what you'll see in the world around you. And it's really this list of nine characteristics or qualities, these ways of describing the fruit that the Holy Spirit brings out of our lives is really set in contrast to the world around us. And so this whole idea of, you know, the world is, is not following through on its promises, it's not delivering, there's so much upset, there's so much concern and crisis and all these things. And in contrast to that, the Holy Spirit's at work in the lives of believers. And so this whole thought in mind, we've been going through these, uh, the nine descriptions for the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and we're here on week number eight. And so today we're going to be looking at gentleness. And this is Galatians 5.22. We've been in this verse for a number of weeks now, of course. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. But the Holy Spirit is different. The Holy Spirit is doing something different in your life compared to the world around you. And out of your life, when the Holy Spirit is work, comes love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, there's no way to really read this and, and consider its implications and think that what we're being instructed to do and what Paul is writing to these churches is that we just need to be nice people. It certainly has to be more than that. It has to be richer than that. There's certainly more going on there. And today, as we look at this idea of being gentle and this idea of gentleness, one thing that's important for us to grab a hold of and will stand us in good stead as we go through the rest of this today is that gentle and humble in the New Testament are from the same word. So if you kind of read in the New Testament and uh, it sort of says gentle, humble, it's come from the same root word. And so in lots of ways, they're kind of interchangeable. It's the same idea. It's the same picture that's being painted. Possibly the most well-known verse about being gentle or humble, if you're reading uh, some of the older, more traditional versions of the Bible, you'll even hear it say meek, is in Matthew 5.5. 5. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. That's from the New Living Translation, which is the English translation I use most often. But then the NASB, another popular translation, says, blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. And you can see that the same Greek word that's translated as either humble or gentle, it's important for us to keep in mind today. And with all that said, 
whenever I've come and I've read the, you know, the fruit of the Spirit as we've been outlining in the book of Galatians, I thought that what it was saying, and I kind of misread it and kind of got myself jumbled up, and I kind of had an eye-opening moment this week, because whenever I've read about, you know, this need of gentleness in our lives, that the Holy Spirit at work brings out gentleness, I thought to myself, well, this means that I need the Holy Spirit's help for me to be gentle with people. And as I kind of thought about it, and as I kind of did some study this week and some reflection this week, I realized that in this whole call to be gentle and humble, primarily the call is to be gentle and humble before the Lord. That the primary call to be humble is not with people, but it is to be humble before God. At the end of the day, what's the point of people around me thinking that I'm humble and gentle if God knows that my heart is prideful and angry? What does my reputation with people matter if God knows what's really going on in my heart and it's different from what everyone else sees? The easiest way to grow a humility before God is to consider just how amazing He is. I love this passage from Isaiah 55. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Another verse from the book of Revelation. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Humility it starts with acknowledging and admitting that God is above me. He's greater than me. He's stronger than me. He's better than me. An essential part of coming to faith and professing Jesus as Lord is, is this dethronement that happens in our heart. It's this new allegiance. It's this new loyalty to Jesus. And this dethronement, it's, it's kind of this idea of in our lives, there's a, a throne, if you'll go with the illustration, there's a throne in our lives, and sitting on the throne is something. And when we come to faith, when we come to believe that Jesus is who He says He is, and we make that decision to follow Him, whatever is currently on the throne in our lives needs to get out of the way so Jesus can take His rightful place. Maybe what's on the throne of our lives, it might be a, a false religious belief. It might be something that we've idolized. It might even be our own self-centeredness might be on the throne of our lives. And when we come to faith, an essential part of that is this understanding that we need to get out of the way whatever has taken place on that throne in our lives. And Jesus needs to take his rightful place there. There is only one who deserves that central spot in our lives. There is only one who deserves to sit on the throne. And that, of course, is Jesus. Now, this all may sound straightforward and simple, but it requires new ways of thinking. It requires new values and new ethics and new priorities. Being a believer and follower of Jesus, it means learning a new way to live, and that happens in our hearts and minds as we pursue Jesus. The Holy Spirit starts working within us and correcting faulty thinking and undoing lies that we've believed and starts healing wounds that we've picked up along the way and softening our hearts. The Holy Spirit starts teaching us to care about others the way that He cares about others. The Bible tells us that this work will never finish and that He will continue this work in our hearts until we breathe our last or if He returns. And the only posture that allows us to grow and stretch in this way is humility. The only attitude that will sustain us as we feel the challenge to renew our thinking and to make significant changes in our perception of the world, it's, it's that gentleness. Having true humility and a confidence that God knows best and that He deserves my trust It'll set us on a course to learn His heart and His ways. An essential part of following Jesus is coming to the realization that we need Him. And if that's true, why would we ever start pushing Him away? If we've needed Him then, then we need Him now. 
And if we need Him, why would we push Him away? Gentleness and humility are what keep us going to Him and seeking Him and discovering His will for our lives. It keeps us open in times of prayer. It's humility and gentleness that opens our hearts and our spirit as we read the Bible or we're spending time in worship. It's humility that will allow us to listen and take on board something a trusted person says to us. Gentleness and humility, it keeps us open and ready for God to stretch us, keeps us open for God to challenge us and refine our character and our outlook. Without humility, these verses are easy to ignore. From Ephesians 5.10, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. And then this, version from, uh, this verse from Philippians 2, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Without humility, these verses are easy to ignore, but with gentleness and humility, these verses are life-changing. To carefully determine what pleases the Lord. This takes care and intentionality. It also means that we're not just assuming that we've got the answers already, but there's something to seek out, there's something to learn, there's something to discover. It speaks to the willingness to change and to grow. And from the verse in Philippians, Paul writes that God is working within us. He's transforming our hearts so that we can do what will please Him. We won't begrudgingly uphold godliness, but we'll find joy in living in step with God's Word. And that He's giving us the power. He's giving us the ability to follow through and live a life that reflects His goodness and His love. And all of this takes humility. It's recognizing who He is. And it's recognizing that He and He alone should be on the throne of our lives. Amazingly, God not only accepts us and loves us as messy, dysfunctional people, He is also committed to cleaning us up and setting us free. And as He's cleaning us up, the outcome, the result, the fruit, as Paul wrote in Galatians 5, is that fruit of the Spirit that we've been discussing all summer. And humility and gentleness are an essential part of this. Without humility, we wouldn't consider submitting ourselves to God or reevaluating whether we're right or wrong. Without humility, we resist transformation or change or growth. Without humility, we would never willfully engage in an uncomfortable stretch. Without gentleness, we fight and resist when the Holy Spirit is trying to accomplish something, and ultimately, we miss out. So approach God with humility and gentleness and a willingness to change. It takes trust and confidence that God is true to His promises and true to His character. To orient our lives around who God is, to submit my free will to Him, takes courage. But be reminded, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The first thing I'd ask you to write down if you're taking notes today, and if you're not in the habit of taking notes, today's a great day to start. But gentleness keeps us humble before God. Gentleness keeps us humble before God. In the same way, it means that pride or egotism or self-centeredness or arrogance or anger, abrasiveness, aggression, stubbornness, all of this keeps us from humility. This kind of thinking and negative aspects of our character, it keeps us from being gentle in the way Paul describes. And so the work that God is committed to doing in our hearts and mind is stifled, not because of God, but because of us. If this stretching is happening in our hearts and our minds, there's a change in our outlook and our values. Our attitudes and our priorities are transformed. Because we've been honest and bold enough to approach God with humility and gentleness, we will definitely see a change in how we interact and live with the people around us. Ephesians 5.10, once more, 
carefully determine what pleases the Lord. And from Philippians, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Gentleness and humility is first seen in our relationship with God, and then, naturally, it is seen in our relationship with each other. It's important for us to remember and grab a hold of that gentleness is not weakness. I shared a similar thought a few weeks ago when we talked about kindness, that kindness takes strength. And similarly, gentleness is not weakness. It's important that we don't see gentleness as timidity or weakness or cowardice. But the second thing I'd ask you to write down is gentleness is disciplined strength. Gentleness is disciplined strength. A perfect picture of this and a perfect illustration of this can be seen on YouTube. Um, If you go on YouTube and you just search for bikers escorting kids to school. Now, you may find this funny or not, I don't know, but it caused some laughter this week. There's a perfect video on YouTube for this. I found it, loved it, sent it to um, Luke and Josh. They sort of, um, they, they run our production and creative stuff. And I said, hey, can we show this video in church on Sunday? They got in touch with the people who own the video. The video is eight years old. They wrote back and said, you can show it in your church as long as you pay us $385. What? It's, it's eight years So if you go home and you search, bikers escorting kids to school and you watch the video, just take comfort. You are helping to save the church $385 because there's no way I'm paying that. (laughs) But it's a perfect picture. And there's uh, different organizations around the country, and there's tons of these videos. It's not a one-off. There's tons of these videos where you'll have biker gangs that will just make it their business to come alongside kids that have been bullied. And there's multiple stories. There's many, many of them, and they're very emotional. it's excellent. It's really inspiring stuff. But if you can get this picture in your mind of these biker gangs, and we're not talking about, you know, nice people that ride a motorcycle. I'm like legit biker gang. One of them, his nickname was Pipes. I don't know what kind of Pipes, but I don't know if Pipes, are, anyway. Another one was called Tree. It was six feet ten. Anyway. But these guys, they would escort kids to school. Kids that were being picked on. They had other organizations that um, they specifically worked with kids that um, had been victims of abuse. And they would have other kids there that had special needs, and they were just, you know, getting picked on at school, and so these biker gang would kind of roll up with them on their first day of school and make sure that the message was loud and clear, you're going to leave these kids alone. It's a perfect, I truly mean perfect picture of the gentleness that we need to get from this. Very strong, tough, take on anybody, but they're going to be gentle for the sake of the kids that they're escorting to school. That is a great picture. Please, I encourage you, go to YouTube and check this out. It's recognizing that I have the strength, you have the strength. We have the potential to harm people, but instead we're going to use that strength to help people. I have the strength and ability to enforce what I want, but instead I'm going to restrain and consider others around me. This is forgiving instead of getting justified revenge. It's using our strength to help protect others rather than demanding our own way. It's putting myself to one side so I can consider God's place in my life. If gentleness keeps us humble before God and gentleness is disciplining strength, then our gentleness and humility will show itself in our relationships and our interactions with people. With that in mind, this verse came alive to me this week from the book of Colossians. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Gentleness is shown in word and deed. Gentleness is shown in word and deed. 
In our words, there's a proverb. Many of you all know this, I'm sure. But it says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now, the proverb, which many of the proverbs do, they, they almost use like a one-two punch to make the point that there's a gentle answer, and then there's a harsh word. The gentle answer calms things down. And the harsh word, it stirs up anger. And each and every one of us have seen this in action. We've all been in situations where a gentle, humble response would settle a tense moment. But someone saying something insensitive or unkind or aggressive would explode the whole thing. I saw a documentary a long, long time ago now, and it stuck with me, um, on nightclub bouncers. And one of the um, techniques that nightclub bouncers would use to kind of diffuse a, a hostile situation is, you know, if you can kind of imagine someone's, you know, drunk out of their mind and they're aggressive and they're mad about something, whoever knows what, if they're absolutely like an absolute 10 out of 10, like absolutely outraged, ready to start busting up the joint, and the bouncers get involved, what they'll do is the first one will come and they say, okay, what seems to be the problem? And so the person responds aggressively, like, they did this, this happened, no, 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 you know, on and on it goes. You can kind of imagine the idea, right? Um, and then what will happen is the bouncer will then get a second person to come and then say, okay, tell John what just happened. And so now the drunk person turns and tells the story again, and they inevitably come down a level. Well, you know, I mean, this was happening there, and it's like, oh, okay, okay, I didn't know that. Hey, tell James what just happened. James, come here. So then James comes and says, like, okay, tell him what you just told me. And it's, by the time you get to, I don't know, three, four people, I don't know, it's come all the way down, we're now you're just having a sensible conversation. There's a lesson in that for us. A gentle word can really diffuse things. There's power in the words that we use. There's power in the words that we use. Your words matter. What you say is important. How you talk to people matters. Every single one of us, we all remember a harsh or a cruel word that people have said to us. Some of those words that we've heard over our lifetime, they, they still sting today, even if it was years ago. And even though the people that said those things to us don't even remember saying it, it still sticks with us. People who are careless with their words, they hurt people left and right, often without intending to do so. Words build up or tear down. Words encourage or devastate. Words direct and words destroy. Words show love and words express contempt. With humility and gentleness, we should weigh and consider what we say, how we say it, and when we say it, and whether it needs to be said at all. And please, don't assume that this is a challenge for someone else. This is a challenge that each and every one of us should take to heart. The verse from Colossians also talks about deeds. And we've been looking at this idea of fruit in our lives because the Holy Spirit is active, and the Holy Spirit is, is bringing something out of our lives. And here, a verse from Thessalonians, Paul restates the same idea in, in a different fashion. So 2 Thessalonians 1.11. So we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of His call. May He give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Here, Paul is telling the believers that they're praying for God's enablement, they're praying for God to give them power, and that God would be at work in their hearts. Very similar to what we've read about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is Paul still in a very different way, but still talking about God being active in the hearts and minds of people. Paul's call to live a life worthy of his call is huge. That's a lot of pressure. Thank God he's committed to helping us. Otherwise, I would be a lost cause. And just like the fruit of the Spirit, this isn't a, a list of preferred character qualities. It's letting us know what God is working within our hearts. God's work inevitably results in us conducting ourselves differently. 
God's work in our lives means that we can accomplish all the good things our faith prompts us to do. Another verse from Galatians 5, what's important is faith expressing itself in love. Now, in the flow of the letter to Galatians, Paul is addressing some of the religious and theological concerns of the day. And this is one of the ways he ends the argument is what's important is faith expressing itself in love. Now, sit with that challenge for a moment. Out of all the things we could prioritize, of all the things we could spend our time on, out of all the things that the world is telling us is of absolute vital importance, out of all the things we could worry and stress about, we need reminding. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. I suppose in Matthew, Jesus talking, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds to glorify your Father in heaven. And I was thinking about this this week, and I remembered a long time ago now, this is back in England, and um, our church hosted a youth event, and I was doing some stuff on the youth event, and I was kind of helping, you know, organize it and run it and whatnot, and we kind of got to the end of the evening, and we'd had, I don't know how many, you know, teenagers come through the building, and I went into the bathroom, and it was just gross. Any parents of teenagers know exactly what I'm talking about. Just multiply that by a few hundred. But I was in there, it was gross, and I decided, you know what? I'm going to start cleaning up. And I just get on my hands and knees, and I just start cleaning up, and I just start, you know, getting the floor figured out and all this and disinfectant. And while I was down there cleaning up the gross bathroom, I had this strange thought. I was like, you know, I really hope someone walks in and sees how humble I am. (laughs) Huh. But as Jesus said, not for my glory, but to glorify your Father in heaven. If followers of Jesus consider carefully what they say and how they conduct themselves, surely we'd stand out, and we'd stand out for the right reasons. I don't think the world around us cares too much about the words that they say. I don't think people weigh their words carefully. I think lawyers and politicians do, but only for selfish reasons. I think people will be cruel and people will say devastating things without thinking twice. I think people will be critical. I think people will tear each other down just so they look good in front of their friends. I don't think bosses will consider the weight of their words with their employees. I don't think coaches even realize the words that they're saying have an impact on young players on their team. We're set apart. Our words matter. We're going to be set apart, and we're going to be different in our deeds. We don't work to get in God's good graces. His good graces put us right in touch with the Father. Our relationship with God is restored, not because of anything good we have done, but because He paid it all on the cross. And yet that good news, that good news inspires me to be a better person and inspires me to care about people. The world around us, maybe they care, maybe they don't. But I'm inspired to care. I'm inspired to want to do what I can to help people that can't help themselves. I'm inspired to do what we can to see this generation turn around. I don't know about you, but I'm sick of watching TV and being mad. I want to see God move. I want to see lives transform. I want to see young people come alive in Him. I want to see God's people stop being comfortable, but instead rise up knowing that there is a calling on their life, knowing that they have a mission, and it is a joy to be a part of it. 
I don't want to judge my neighbors anymore. I want to make sure they know I love them. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through Him. The point is that our words and our actions, all of it, is something we do as people who are faithful and loyal to Jesus. Gentleness keeps us humble before God. Gentleness is disciplined strength. Gentleness is shown in word and deed. And trying to make sense of these three points, I wrote this down. I thought it would be helpful to share with you. With all this in mind, therefore, our humility before God inspires our spiritual transformation, and our disciplined strength will be shown in both what we say and how we live our daily lives. The gentleness the Holy Spirit produces is a unified humility and strength that transforms our character and is proven by words and deeds. And in all of this, Jesus is the role model. Jesus is the role model. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. And this passage, it's been heavy on my mind for months. If you've been a part of the church for any period of time, you'll know. And I honestly don't think there's ever been a time in the last 20 years when I've been following Jesus that a specific passage has stuck with me as long and as deep as this. This past Easter, we kind of looked at this passage and kind of looked at it in greater detail. What I shared on Easter Sunday is this invitation from Jesus is to come to Him. And this invitation has been extended for 2,000 years. It's an invitation for people who are weary, who have been carrying heavy burdens. This is for people who have been carrying too much for too long. This is a verse that as 21st century Americans, we can understand very easily. Our generation, the generation that we're a part of, is tired, worn out, angry, confused, and divided. Many people feel like they've been carrying too much for too long. And the invitation is extended to us to come and find rest in Jesus. Not a break, not a nap, but rest for our souls. Jesus says, let me teach you, let me show you, because I am humble and gentle at heart. Now imagine if we swapped out the adjectives, instead of humble and gentle, but rather to hurt broken, worn out people. Instead, Jesus said, come to me, I am prideful and aggressive. Or if he said, come to me, I'm rude and complicated. Or come to me, I'm unforgiving and ruthless. Or come to me, I'm competitive and dishonest. Or come to me, I'm bitter and overbearing. No broken, hurt, weary, worn out person wants to hear that. But Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He described himself as a spiritual doctor that came for the spiritually sick. He's the shepherd that finds the lost sheep. He's the friend of sinners. He's the savior of the world. He's the one who says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. And to the broken and devastated, Jesus says, I am humble and gentle. Gentleness keeps us humble before God. It opens us up to accept the challenge and the challenge to change. 
It's humility that keeps us submitted to God's ways and not our own. Our values and priorities are reconsidered in the light of who Jesus is and how loved we are. Gentleness is disciplined strength. The world doesn't benefit from Jesus' followers being timid and cowardly. The church is not advanced by passive indifference, but the world is changed by courageous believers who know when it's time to display strength. The world is changed when believers use their strength to lift others up and defend the helpless. Gentleness is shown in word and deed. Our words have power and lasting impact, and our actions declare our faith. And in all of this, Jesus is the role model. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Every week I like to give a couple of questions to hopefully give you a moment this week to reflect a little bit and hopefully provoke some thought and some prayer. And uh, I have two for you today. The first one I'm going to confess to you is terribly worded, but I couldn't figure out how to word it. If gentleness is disciplining strength, how does that change your understanding of gentleness? If gentleness is disciplining strength, how does that change your understanding of gentleness? second question I put to you. Are you asking God to help you be humble and gentle in word and deed? Are you asking God to help you be humble and gentle in word and deed? I want to invite everyone to stand. We're going to go back into a moment of worship. Before we do, I'd like to read the verses from Isaiah that we started with. My thoughts, the God that we worship, the God we're committed to, the God whose loyalty is worth it. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And this verse from Revelation, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Lord, we lift up your name. You and you alone are worthy of praise and adoration. Lord, you deserve that place in our heart. You deserve that central spot. You deserve, Lord, that throne in our lives. Lord, I pray that humility and gentleness would sweep across this place. Lord, humility before you, the King of kings, the creator of the universe and the savior of the world. Lord, a humility would spread across this place. And as we come to you with humility, that you would do an incredible work in our hearts. You would bring around true transformation so that we can truly be the people you've called us to be. And we can live with words and deeds that honor you and impact the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, everyone, let's spend some time in worship together.